The following is a presentation of WAER Sports, the original home of the Orangemen. As Sid Bream was coming to the plate, I was grabbing onto the table, you know, that, like I was holding onto the table in the broadcast booth because it felt like old Atlanta Fulton County Stadium was shaking. You know, I was rocking back and forth. They do so in a day littered with questions. They're on their way to the quarterfinals if it happens on one of the wackiest days that you can possibly remember. And fans, due to unforeseen circumstances, the game tonight has been postponed. You are all safe. Here's the first pitch of the 1988 season. Pop-up. Down the left field line, Spike Owen in fair ground, makes the catch. One pitch and one out for the Red Sox. It's April 4th, 1988. It's Fenway Park, opening day. And nine days before his 26th birthday, Sean McDonough is calling his first Red Sox game in the city where he was born. Lou Whitaker batting second this afternoon, the Tigers' second baseman. And I just remember you know, sitting in the booth, the old booth at Fenway, which was right on top of the screen, very close to the field. And there's, you know, the bunting everywhere for opening day, and there's all the ceremonies and everything. But I remember as the game was getting closer, looking at almost staring at the field as if to say, this is really happening. You know, all these times I've been dreaming about being an announcer of the Red Sox. Now I am one. The 0-1 to Horn. Ripped to the right side. Greenwell has scored. Evans will score. If you love baseball, you've probably loved it from an early age. An appreciation for this sport starts early on. You grow up around the game. You learn its nuance, how to score it. Or maybe you just even like to lick the cotton candy off your fingers during a Saturday afternoon game. Sean McDonough's called national championships. He's called Monday Night Football on ESPN. But this year, he returned to the Boston Red Sox, dropping into the radio booth for some games throughout the summer. Because being in a ballpark has this special pull for all of those who have felt it. Welcome to Talk Back. I'm Cooper Boardman. This week, we're going to talk to two major league broadcasters who grew up around the game. As we get into mid-May and ballparks still sit silently, we're just going to try to capture the feeling that baseball provides through the eyes of a couple of people who have felt it too. First, though, a reminder, subscribe to Talk Back on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter at WAER Sports, and on SoundCloud, just search WAER. The voice of the Washington Nationals, Dave Jagler, grew up in Windsor, Connecticut. It's a town that sits right in the middle of a state that sits between Boston and New York. And Jagler's broadcasting influences lean towards the north and towards the east with the Red Sox. Uh, Ken Coleman and Joe Castiglione on the radio were the, the team when I was in elementary school and up through into to high school. And on the television side, uh, Ned Martin was a terrific broadcaster. And then later, Sean McDonough, right around the time when I was going to, to Syracuse and ultimately got a chance to work with McDonough later on in my professional career so Sean's been a, a terrific mentor and then I played baseball in high school 
and I always tell the story that uh, I was out in the outfield and left field, probably couldn't do this at third base playing the hot corner, but I'm out in left field and I'm broadcasting the game to myself while I'm playing in the game. I mean, I'm practicing my play-by-play in left field until the ball is hit to me. That's when, then we had to interrupt the broadcast to, to attempt to catch the ball. Uh, but I was, I was trying to do both. I was trying to play and broadcast at the same time. So Dave Jagler's time calling baseball started in the outfields of Connecticut. It's led him to Syracuse before he called minor league baseball in Charlotte, also back in the Salt City, and in Pawtucket. He's been in the Nationals radio booth since 2006, where he gets a chance every single day to call the sport that he grew up loving. Well, you want to talk about depressing. My first baseball memory was being a Red Sox fan and watching them collapse in the 1978 season and losing to the Yankees in a one-game playoff. So I'm a, I'm a hardened Red Sox fan who was, who was used to, uh, to gloom and doom and disaster when they blew a 14-game lead in the 78 season and lost in a, in a one-game playoff. Deep to left. Yastrzemski will not get it. It's a home run. A three-run home run for Bucky Denton. The Yankees now lead it by a score of 3-2. to two. Bucky Dent, who had uh, absolutely no power, hitting his three-run homer in the seventh inning into the screen over the Green Monster. So that's my first baseball memory. It was kind of all uphill from there. A lot of Red Sox talk. I should probably reveal my bias here, too. My first love is baseball, but it's a love that happened in the Bronx. I remember how Yankee Stadium used to chant 1918 during Yankee Red Sox games, a reference to the last Boston World Series win before 2004. I'd sit in the upper deck with my dad as he explained what that meant. And baseball that way belongs to the young, something that's true across every single generation. For Sean McDonough, the sport found its way under his pillow onto the pocket radio. Plenty of time my dad would say, shut that off. And, um, especially if the Red Sox were playing on the West Coast. And now you know, the game doesn't even start till 10 o'clock you know, Eastern time. And uh, But oh yeah, I, I, another one of my hobbies when I was a kid like that was go to the AM radio and see how, what was the most distant radio station I could get. You know, like, I think it was CKLW in Windsor, Ontario had a really strong signal. You get that. And there was a station in Wheeling, West Virginia that I used to be able to get a lot. And, you know, it's, I'd always you know, we'd be listening, like, which one's this one? And then they'd say it. I think, oh, that's one I hadn't heard before. So I guess I was an even nerdier kid than I thought I was, but uh <laughs> Of course, back in Boston, WBZ radio was a clear channel, 50,000 watts. So I know, you know we'd be driving out in the Midwest and, and we could get WBZ. So it kind of felt like you were back home in Boston when you were actually in Chicago or someplace and you could, you could hear WBZ. WBZ. And his childhood dream, it's one that started listening to WBZ, culminates in this one place. It's Sean McDonough calling Game 6 of the 1992 World Series. At 30 years old, he's the youngest national broadcaster to ever do it. With a tying run at third and two down in the bottom of the 11th, 4-3 Blue Jays. Timlin, Nixon butts. Timlin on it, throws to first. For the first time in history, the World Championship banner will fly north of the border. The Toronto Blue Jays are baseball's best in 1992. If you're around long enough, you get a chance to see the sport's biggest moments. That World Series call continues to echo, but so does the NLCS from that year. 
where the old Fulton County Stadium shook with the sound of drum beats during the slide. He hacked at the 2-0, now the 2-1. Line drive and a base hit! Just as the score of the tying run, Green to the plate! And he is safe! Safe at the plate! The Braves go to the World Series! As Sid Bream was coming to the plate, I was grabbing onto the table, you know, that, like I was holding onto the table in the broadcast booth because it felt like old Atlanta Fulton County Stadium was shaking, you know, I was rocking back and forth. And, you know, you do realize, you know, that's, I mean, it's game seven of a national championship series and it, it ends like this. And, you know, as I said, one team's going to the World Series and the other one isn't. I'd always told myself I was never going to go to a World Series game until I actually worked one. No balls and a strike. Outside target, Chirinos the pitch. Swing a line drive, slice down the right field line toward the corner. Springer back, looking up, and this one is gone! It hits the foul pole, and the Nationals lead! Howie Kendrick has done it again! A slicing two-run homer off the right field foul pole! Do you believe it, Howie Kendrick? Part two! get in that boat of calling the game and you don't you don't really feel nervous even though you know legacies are being determined by the outcome of these games and you know prior to game seven we've, we've kind of told the story that you know you're sitting there like an hour before the game knowing that one team's going to win the world series and I, I wasn't really that nervous I, mean, I think i was kind of confident in the nationals chances but i was more excited to get the game started than than nervous Unfortunately, uh, I, I do the play-by-plays in, in, in three, four, six, and seven. So I was not at the microphone to call the final strike. That was my partner, Charlie Slows. So I was able to kind of do, you know, to get up out of my seat and, and kind of fist pump a little bit. But then at that point, you're, you're really the, the professional broadcaster takes over. You can't you can't put the fan hat on as much as you, you want to. I took the headset off and I had to hightail it down to the field. Uh, with, a, with a wireless microphone and started doing interviews. I mean, there was a, a massive humanity kind of around the pitcher's mound in the infield. Dave Jagler is still down on the field. I can see him beyond the podium on, on the left side. He just waved to me. Dave, this has uh, been an incredible moment, and there's a lot more to come. Absolutely. All the play, as you said, all the players are assembling at the pitcher's mound to get that photo, and, um, you know, it's been quite a quite an interesting uh, celebration for all the different levels, from first clinching just a postseason spot to each time along the way. This one will probably be the – it'll top it all. It'll be the biggest blowout, and uh, it's the last one. There are no more games to play. We got pretty good at it because we had so many, you know, series clinching celebrations to do, but it's still it's, – it's a pretty stressful uh, experience because you're dealing with the, the champagne spray and the technical aspect of the of, of two different wireless microphones plus someone back in the studio and so it's a real song and dance to pull it off and make it sound uh, crystal clear we have an amazing engineer who was able to do that but you're really in work mode and and pretty intense work mode for about that two hour period and then once that's all done and you sign off you kind of sit back and go damn they, they just won the world series Imagine that feeling. Dave Jagler at one point called 2016 consecutive Nationals games. That's a streak that only got interrupted by his son's high school graduation a couple of years ago. And after 14 years, the Nats were finally champions. Those big moments are the highlights. You remember the emotions. It's Jagler's fist pumping or McDonough grabbing the desk. 
But baseball especially is about the little things, the routine and the rhythm of game after game. There's kind of a rhythm to life when you do baseball. You you, know, you, you work hard for the season and hopefully into the postseason, and you relax in the offseason. It gears up in spring training, and you start it all over again. And we were in that gear-up phase of spring training and had done probably you know, eight or nine spring training broadcasts when, when all of a sudden it came crashing to a halt. Baseball is a game of sound. I think the nature of the sport creates that. The pace of the game, the pace of the day, and the time that it invites you to talk. All of that is part of sound. The constant chatter about anything slips itself between pitches. That's the base for everything else. And occasionally, there are these certain sounds that cut through that buzz, the deep tones of an organ between innings, a call for a little bit more beer, and of course, the game itself. That's the crack of the bat making contact, the pop of the ball in the mitt, the cry of safe by the umpire. And that is why baseball on the radio just, it works. You can tune to the game, you can close your eyes, and you immediately feel like you're in it, like you're surrounded by the hum of those 40,000 conversations. That backdrop provides the soundtrack for storytelling. You know, you, you need to become a good storyteller. That's one of the benefits of doing all those Chiefs games, especially you know, when we go on the road, most of the time we were by ourselves. So you're broadcasting you know, nine innings on the radio. You, you better be able to fill the time with more than the wind is still blowing in from the left. You know, after a while, okay, we know the wind's blowing in from the left. Tell me something else. So, the, um, so you know, and I think it's one of the reasons why baseball broadcasters historically have been the most popular, you know, the most beloved within their markets or whatever, because they're on every night. And because they are telling stories, you know, more of their personality comes out. You feel that you know their sense of humor and what they find interesting. So I think there becomes a real connection between the baseball announcer and the audience. You know, when you think of, you know, Vin Scully and Jack Buck and Harry Carey and Bob Euchre, I and mean, you could go almost to every market and you'd be able to make an argument. A lot of those places, I think that the baseball announcers are the most popular. Just, I think a large part of that is just that they're with us every day. It speaks to why Sean McDonough went back to the radio booth. We are ready for the third inning and for the play-by-play. Our pleasure to bring in one of the all-time greats in Boston Broadcasting, Sean McDonough. Thank you, Joe. Here's the first pitch of the third from Nathan Evaldini. It's low and inside to the number eight hitter, Lourdes Gurriel. It's a place different than any other, a love for the game that started early, and it's one that persists today. 3-1 pitch, hit in the air, high and deep to left. Way back and gone. Third home run of the night for Mookie Betts. The Red Sox radio people ask me, you know, what I'd be interested in doing. There's no way I could do all of those, do all the games of a, you know, 162 game baseball schedule. So I said, you know, I, I would be interested because you know, my summer is pretty slow, and I've always loved doing the Red Sox games, and I really particularly enjoyed the radio and have done very little in recent years. And they said, okay, we'll keep that in mind. So then they came back to me, I don't know, a month or two later, and said, yeah, that's what we're going to do. We're just kind of, kind of hodgepodge it together. Uh, for this year, maybe have some fun with, you know, guest announcers. So they said to me, you can do as many or as few as you want, and, and you can pick which games. So at that point, you'd have to be an idiot to say no. So I uh, wound up doing 30 games last season. Really enjoyed it. Joe Castiglione, the legendary play-by-play guy for the Red Sox, an awesome guy. And, you know, Will Fleming on our updates is a great guy. So, 
Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And uh, to the point where I agreed to do 40, what would have been 40 this year, but uh, now I hope we just get to do any, you know, so we'll see what happens. The Hall of Famer Bob Murphy, he's the former voice of the Mets, said broadcasting baseball is like sitting in a rocking chair. There's so much downtime and you have to be able to lean back sometimes. You lounge and you relax. That's how baseball works. You tell some jokes, you comment about the weather, and you let your mind go wherever you want it to. There's time. With 120 strikeouts in 12 games. That's 10 strikeouts a game if I can quickly apply my Syracuse math. And then the game is there too. You slowly begin to rock forward. The sport commands it. The pitch commands it. Because at any moment, the game's most important moment can happen. You rush the chair forward, and you get to the top of its rock. Here's the 2-0. Swing, long drive, left field. This is way, way back, and it's a grand slam for Anthony Rendon. And then you fall back and get ready to rock again. Thanks for joining us for our seventh episode. Also, a huge thank you to Sean McDonough and Dave Jagler for their time. This was a WAER Sports podcast produced by Carl Mogline, along with reporting from Frankie Vernowski and Brandon Ross. I'm Cooper Boardman. We'll talk to you next week.